Hey family, if you are an educator, a teacher, a principal, an education consultant, I have something so special that you cannot find anywhere else that is coming to your phone, your iPad, your desktop. I am bringing together my squad. I'm bringing together my team. I'm bringing together some folks who you can identify with because they were in the classroom in schools and education organizations just like you and now they are running six and seven figure education consulting businesses. I am Dr. Erica Jordan Thomas and welcome to the Seven Figure Educator Podcast. Part of your journey to seven figures is recognizing that with more increase comes more things that you're gonna have to hold, more things that you're gonna have to manage. And that shouldn't discourage you from the journey, but if you expect it when it happens, it positions you to better manage it. So part of the journey to seven figures is actually redefining what a big problem is. Because what used to be a big problem at six figures, actually now at seven figures, is a small problem. Let me give you a quick example. As I've grown my business to the seven-figure mark, I have had more people have more opinions about my business. I've had more naysayers. I've had more people attempt to copy me in my business. And the first time that it happened, honestly, it felt very overwhelming, right? Because it felt like a betrayal almost. And th these aren't people that I necessarily knew, but it felt personal, and a part of me shifting my mindset and a part of me continuing to go and press forward as I'm growing my business to and through the seven figure mark is I have to accept that that is what comes with playing big. That actually, if everybody agrees with me, I'm not playing big enough. If others don't feel inclined to copy me, then I haven't solidified my position in the marketplace. Right, So a part of your growing to seven figures is making a big problem actually a small problem. Think about Nike. Consider how many legally things that they have to deal with. I feel like every time I open up my social media feed, I see another trademark infringement suit, right? Because folks are constantly copying Nike and that's just a part of the game. So part of your journey to seven figures is redefining a problem and making the big problems small problems. When you think about the business that you're running, what are the things that feel familiar given your experience as an educator? I mean, 15 years in the game, leading a school as an assistant principal, like what were some of the skills that directly translated over into your business? Yeah, um, I think one is the data piece, right? Like we are used to looking at data um, being able to say, okay, well, like, what's the, what's the, um, what's the misstep here? What did students miss? Right. Okay. So like what in my messaging wasn't clear or, or like where, where's the, the possible misconception, um, that's present here. Um, I definitely think the like attention to detail piece that teachers have to have is like super, um, present in my business each and every day. Um, for me, being a coach and doing um, professional development, that's when I'm in my bag. That's when I'm like, <laughs> y'all can't tell me that, that I'm going to work this facilitation, right? But that for me is super important because 
I don't care how many flyers I have, whatever, like the product, the service I provide is going to make you come back over and over again. Right. And so, um, I just, even that, like, that's what I did every day as an assistant principal was coach, you know? And so being able to do that piece is like, that's, that's a hundred percent my business right there. So just showing up in my teacher hat, like it's really nice sometimes to take off my business hat and put back on my teacher hat in that moment. And really just like, it's like, yes, I'm running my business in this moment, but I'm also really much in my space and my zone of genius of being able to coach and develop. Um, as an English teacher, you know, I enjoy writing my, I still write a lot of my emails cause I like doing it. Mm -hmm. I like writing my emails. I like doing a lot of my captions because I enjoy that creative, um, piece of running a business, I, I will say it's, there are differences, but you don't realize how much as a teacher, you just really dibble and dabble in a lot. I mean, you're like into technology, you know, you're, you're selling. Think about how much we have to like get kids to be interested in something that they do not care about, mm -hmm, right? We're salespeople. Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. you actually really are using a lot of different kind of like skills from various industries as a teacher. And so being able to pull on those is, is, is not that foreign. Tell the people in the back, because if I hear one more person that's just like, well, I don't want to be too salesy. I'm like, you needed to be salesy to get some kid to pay attention. Yeah. So like, yeah. this ain't no different, boo. Like you have got to give people a reason as to why they should be giving you attention and selling is serving, right? So mm -hmm. if there's someone who's experiencing a pain point in your classroom, like you're going to sell the solution, which is some type of instructional strategy, right? Same thing in your business where you're going to sell a solution when you know that folks are experiencing a pain point. The first catch 22 of leadership is accepting that there will be times when you will not be able to get the last word. So if you pride yourself on positional authority, if you pride yourself on being seen as right, if you pride yourself on getting the last word, a part of what you are going to have to accept as being the leader is there will be times where you can actually not get the last word. That is actually not in the best interest of your company. It's not in the best interest of your culture. It's not in the best interest of your reputation to get the last word. So let me give you an example. This is a throwback example from my time as a principal. I led a beautiful, beautiful, amazing school community, over a thousand students, and I had a staff of 115. So your girl was leading, okay? Had a solid, solid, massive staff and team. And I remember it was the end of the school year. There was a staff member that I had an end of year conversation with. And the end of year conversation was regarding my decision to not bring them back for the next school year. And of course, during that conversation, gave them feedback as to why this wasn't the first time that we were having conversations around this specific feedback, but it had led to this decision. And obviously the person was not happy about it, right? Like I would not expect someone to be happy with the news that their employment contract was not being renewed. So had the conversation, the person left my office and I went about my business. It's one of the last days of school. There weren't kids in the building and I go about my day. I sit down at my desk, I open my email, 
And I see at the top of my inbox is an email from this staff person. And it was an all staff email saying goodbye and sharing that Miss JT made the decision to not bring them back for the following school year. In this moment, I'm like, huh, okay. The personal side of me kind of felt like I was being put on blast, honestly. The human side of me understood that they were making this decision, taking this action out of emotion, that that emotion could have been hurt, that emotion could have been grief because they're leaving a staffing community that they had been a part of. Lots of emotions underneath that, right? And my ego wanted to respond. My ego wanted to tell my side of the story. My ego wanted other people to know that I made the decision for a reason, that I believe and felt and still believe to this day that that decision was in the best interest of kids. My ego wanted to respond. And the reality was I could not respond. Because for what, <laughs> right? And part of this is what I'm sharing around the Catch-22 of leadership is that was an example in which I could not get the last word. I had to be okay with the other person telling their story, telling their narrative, and that being the leading narrative, whether I agreed with it or not. And so I think the nuances of this particular situation is that it was a staff member, it was an HR issue, and the reality is, is as a leader, I don't have the time and capacity to play what I call whack-a-mole. Whack-a-mole is literally, I don't know if y'all remember the game at the arcade where the little moles just pop up and you got this big like pillowy hammer and you're like trying to like hit every single whack-a-mole before it goes down in the hole. And if you are led by your ego and you feel committed to getting the last word, you will find yourself in a game of whack-a-mole where you're literally trying to hit and tap out every single narrative when it's a waste of time. It's a distraction. So you are going to have to be okay with not getting in the last word. And also understand that if you are authentically leading from your values, if you are building deep relationships in your company, with your staff, with your team, you will have to understand that people nine times out of 10 will know the truth. So mm -hmm. talk to us a little bit around this acronym that I know really well, but mm -hmm. the people, we're going to mm -hmm. share with the people, mm -hmm. MOVE and what that stands for. Absolutely. So a little bit of a backstory. So I've been praying for my movement for probably at least three years and it just wasn't coming. And I'm like, God, what's my movement? I'm going places. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm going places and people are like, what's your movement? And I'm like, I don't have a movement. And eventually, um, October 22nd, 2020, God gives me my movement, Move to Millions. As soon as he said it, first I felt um, goosebumps all over my body. And that's always an indication that God is near for me. And then secondly, I felt like Moses. I'm like, God, I can't teach the people how to move to millions. You know, at that particular point in time in my business, I wasn't at millions. I had done millions in 2014, 15 and by 2016, I was doing like $600,000 and I didn't even want a million dollar business, but God has given me this mission. And so I'm starting to climb my way back to the million dollar mark. And so he spoke, moved to millions first. Two weeks later, he gave me the acronym. So the acronym stands for mastery. And when I talk about mastery, it's everything is, is um, it's both practical and spiritual, everything. So mastery of 
the core tenants to grow your business. We call them the million dollar assets, right? But also mastery of obedience and alignment and surrender and forgiveness, right? Because you have to do both, right? Operational obedience, of course, that sounds like it's probably pretty easy to understand, but it's operational obedience because we are entrepreneurs, we are business owners, right? Now, Dr. Erica, you said we are our business. We are our business to six figures. Mm. To get mm. to seven figures, our framework, our methodology mm. becomes the business. Mm. And so we have to understand the distinction. And for many of us, that's hard because it's our baby, Right. That's what we tell ourselves. And that's the way we carry our business. But we have to start to separate the two in order to really scale up to and to be able to sustain it. Because if we're still trying to operate a business at the seven figure mark, like it's our business, it's about us. It's not going to be sustainable Mm -hmm. because we need to stop spending 80 percent of our time in the business and spend 80 percent of our time on the business. And it's hard to do that if we are the lead service provider. So that operational obedience is really about recognizing those soft skills, call it the softer side of entrepreneurship, although it's the harder side, and being willing to do what you must do to really embody and become the CEO. The journey to the million dollar mark is about who you be, who you become, and more of that than what you do. And so when you're going to six figures, you're doing to go to seven, you need to be being. Mm. V stands for vision. And for me, that's about operating the business from your vision point where you desire to be and not your vantage point where you sit right now because your vantage point is always skewed. And then the E stands for good old execution, right? James said faith without works is dead. I say when when God says move, move just like that. It's movement on purpose because it is a process. It is a continuum. It is an action that takes us from where we were to where it is that we truly desire to be. So mastery, operational obedience, vision, and execution. Life happens in titles and waves. The ocean moves you to higher levels of balance and self-control. This terrain also relaxes you, restores, and purifies you during the process. So if you think about almost a really turbulent waters of how you're like going and being pushed back and forth, that type of back and forth tidal wave process is causing you to purify, it's causing you to restore. I almost think about the spiritual aspect of water. It's flushing you anew. That is the purpose of the ocean. When I think about my ocean moment, I think about the few months right after I crossed the seven-figure mark in my business. Those few months, I like to call seven-figure dissonance. And the reason why I say the word dissonance is because that's what I felt. (laughs) In the moment, I felt this joy and almost like euphoric energy that I had accomplished this huge milestone in my business that I had been focused on for a good time. But then the dissonance part of this was it didn't feel like what I expected it to feel like. So disappointment is when expectations don't meet reality. And my expectations of what seven figures would look like and feel like was not what I was experiencing because actually what I was experiencing was that my business was breaking again. (laughs) Because I've had my business for six years. We've been growing so rapidly every year. Every year I have doubled the revenue in my business, which means if I've had a system for a year or two years, my business would be a half to the fourth of a size that it was in comparison to today. 
So now that I'm at the seven figure mark, there are some systems that I had that we were a half a million dollars when we built that system. Some partnerships and systems we had, we were a quarter of a million dollars when we established that partnership or built that system. And now that we're at the million dollar mark and we're pushing our way to eight figures, that system, that partnership isn't gonna work anymore, which forces us to redefine and it becomes our ocean. It forces us to restore. It forces us to find self-balance. It forces us to purify, right? Where we might be in the tidal wave of this seven-figure dissonance, but the benefit of that, and now we have to break down in order to build up and set us up for our next milestone of eight figures. And then finally, the last area of my life that I have increased my need and desire for help and asking for help is my mental wellness. And so I am a proud advocate of therapy. I go to therapy. I have been going to therapy for years. I don't even know how many years it's been at this point, but that is a necessary part of this journey. As I continue to grow my business, I am taking bigger risk. I am pushing and testing my beliefs. I'm pushing and testing my faith. And because of that, I need to surround myself in social and emotional mental supports because a part of what's becoming clear and clear to me in this journey is I am consistently redefining myself. And I saw someone mention this online and I thought this was a great, great way to reframe this and think about this is I am constantly throwing my nervous system out of whack <laughs> as an entrepreneur because a part of of growing your business is actually positioning yourself for discomfort. It's positioning yourself to outgrow the things that you once knew, which means you are constantly pushing yourself and kicking yourself into fight or flight. And you have to always make the cho choice to, to sometimes fight, sometimes it's flight, but you always have to make the choice to win, right? And in doing so, that requires a lot of mental Olympics a lot of mental Olympics. And so because of that, I find it absolutely necessary that I receive support from a licensed therapist. And I love my therapist. I adore my therapist. I'll be talking to her like she's my homegirl because she is. And I just consider that to be a necessary ingredient to the recipe for receiving help. So those are the three areas of receiving help the professional, the personal, and the mental. So if you don't wanna cook, girl, you ain't gotta cook. If you do not wanna do laundry, you ain't gotta do laundry. And I actually encourage you to actually Google some of these services because some of you all, what's holding you back from actually leveraging this type of help is you actually think it's more expensive than what it really is.